Good morning. Oh, nice. This is a good morning. Good day yesterday. Better day today. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, open it up to First Peter. Now, some of you know why it was a good day yesterday. If you have a good Bible, specifically the later game, uh, open up to First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. We're going to finish out chapter 2 today. Next week, we're going to get into chapter 3. I can breathe a little bit better now. Uh, my, my mom and dad were here in the first service. Um, and like I said in the first service, I didn't ask them, but this has got to be a great passage uh, coming from First Peter as a parent. And today we're talking about submission. We're talking about authority. And I just saw my mom and dad grinning the whole time when I kept saying, we as Christians need to submit to those above us. So uh, good thing they're leaving tomorrow, so that'll be short-lived. Let's, let's pray, uh, get into the text. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, God, we thank you that you're a gracious God. Uh, we thank you that you've given us your word, and I want to be able to contextualize the gospel so that um, your words that you've given to people a couple thousand years ago, we can get it today, we can receive it, we can take it, we can taste it, we can know that it's good. Lord, I, I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would individually work on the hearts and lives of each person in here. Lord, that collectively as a whole we would feel your presence, but individually we would feel you working through this text. Lord, I want to sing your praises as I, as I proclaim your word to our people. God, we thank you that through obedience we find freedom and joy. Let us be a people who are obedient to you. Let us find freedom there. It's only in that that we find it. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and your submission and your obedience, which gives us life. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Um, I said it in my prayer. I said it a few weeks ago. I will probably honestly continue to say it again and again as often as I'm up here. We find, a, we find freedom in obedience. And it, it's a weird concept. It's one that's not talked about a lot. But, but I really want us to get this as a church. When we obey God's words, we find freedom. And again, I, I said it before. If this is God's deal... Right? If he created this, if God really knows you, if God really loves you, if God really said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, if he did that, if he said, let there be light and there was light, then don't we at least owe it to ourselves to look to him and say, okay, what do you want from me? Here I am. What do you want, God? Don't, don't we owe it to ourselves to, to see what he has for us? And for those of us who've kind of turned away from that and said, no, I'll do it on my own. Don't you find yourself looking for more, searching for more? Well, well, there's got to be more than just this. There, there's got to be more than just this. Don't, don't we naturally feel that in us? Right? You just ask someone who's who totally walked away. How's that working out for you? Right? And you might find a rare exception. You might find someone who'll say, well, I, I, I am fulfilled. I do find freedom and, and joy. Right, but we also know that that's only a half-truth. Right? Because if it's true that this is God's doing, then that holiday at the sea is in fact what? It's no holiday. Right? Our holiday is when we are in love with and follow Him. It's when we understand that, that God's given us His words, His, His call to obedience for our freedom. And that's it. Amen. Let's pray. I'm, I'm joking. That's not it. There, there's a lot more. Um, but it, that could be it, right? Like, I, I'm serious. That could be it. 
Like if, if we were to, to not only just understand, but to do that, to take, okay, if we want to find freedom in this life, follow his commands, that, that's it, right? And, and sure, we need to know his commands, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to learn some of his commands, but, but it's a short message. It really is. But if I only gave that short message, I know some of you would be thinking, well, we pay you for more than that, right? So I'm going to give you a lot more. I'm going to give you... A lot more. The reason I, I started out like that and the reason I, I, I kind of reminded us of, of this call to obedience is really because that's what the first couple chapters of First Peter are about, right? Being called to, to holiness. And we talked about how holiness is really a, a form of obedience. And, and that's how we are holy, by, by walking with the Lord. That's what it's all about. So, so today we're going to continue with this. But there's going to be something inside of you today that says, no, not me. Like, I'm the exception to this rule. And if you have your Bibles to 1 Peter, you know what I'm talking about. You see that word, submit to authority, and something wells up inside of you, something in me that says, no, I I am the exception here. So let's read and see if I'm a liar. I'm going to break, break this up into two chunks because we have two different types of authority. We've got the first part in 13 through 17, which, which we can all say, okay, I, I can do that. But then it gets a lot harder when that, when that authority switches to authority that we don't like. So 13 through 17, follow along. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor one another, love the brotherhood, fear God honor the emperor. All right, so he starts out with a bold proclamation. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Why don't I hear any amens? Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Right? Some of you heard me say this in the interaction groups. The purpose of biblical interpretation is to find what we call the plain meaning of the text, right? Plain meaning. We're not looking for some crazy meaning here. We're not looking for some obscure thing that no one else in antiquity ever found. We're looking for plain meaning. So I'm going to read this one more time and let's see if we can't understand what that plain meaning of the text is. Be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. God wants us, as believers, as followers of him, to submit ourselves to authority. We're going to see this all over the book of 1 Peter. We're getting into a big authority section here. At the end of chapter 2, moving into chapter 3, skipping ahead to chapter 5, we're going to see today um, civil authority, government authority. We're going to move to good authority, to bad authority. Next week, um, I'm going to be preaching about authority in the home, husbands and wives, submission there. And then in chapter 5, we're going to get to submission in the church, what it looks like to be a leader, what it looks like to be a follower. It's a big theme that we're getting into. And Peter has a lot to say about this idea of authority. So, so in getting into the, the theme of authority, we need to start out in the beginning, right? Because as Christians, we believe in God, 
right? We believe in one God, right? One God who exists, but he exists as three distinct persons, right? We call that the, man, this is good. I ask, we respond, this is great. The Trinity, right? The Trinity exists as, as co-equal from the very beginning, three different persons, one being three persons. And within the being of the Trinity, within the person of the Trinity, we see the idea of submission. We see it from, from the very beginning. We see it all over the Bible in places like 1 Corinthians 15. We see it in John chapter 6, 38. For I have come down from the Father, this is Jesus' words, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. We see it in the chapter before, in chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So while it's true that within the Trinitarian Godhead we, we see and, and get the picture of submission, we also know that there's complete and total equality within the Godhead. right? Because the verse right before that, verse 18, says this, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So we see equality within the Trinity, but we also see an order of subordination within the Trinity. So from the very foundation of the world, we have this idea of authority. We have this idea of submission. And also from the very foundation of us as human beings, we see in us our rebellion to this authority. Right In the garden, the very first thing, God says, submit to my authority. Here's the rules. There's only one. Only one rule. If you follow it, you'll find freedom. If you don't, you'll find slavery. And what do we do? Do we submit and follow God's rule or do we say, no, I think I'll do it my way? Right? What did, what did Adam and Eve do? They, they took it. They took the apple and they said, no, I, I'm not going to submit. I'm going to do it my way. And from the very beginning, from that point on, every person thereafter has a nature that says, I will do it my way. No one's going to tell me what to do. I do not want a boss. Right? We see this in America. We see this in the Northwest. Right? You listen to any radio. You listen to those Danner boot commercials. Right? The Northwest, where no one will tell you what to do. Wear Danner boots. Right? I mean, really, we, we see it all over the place. We, we hate this word submission. Right? It, it has a lot of baggage with it. Right? So, so how many ladies in here would be totally thrilled if I said, submit to your husbands? Yeah, we laugh, right? Why is that? Because there's something in us, namely the curse, that says, no, I don't want to do that. And, and there's a lot of bad connotation that comes with that. If you laugh, please come back next week because there's freedom in that. I promise. I promise. It's good news. But we don't see it that way at first glance. We don't see submission as, as good news. But let me tell you, it absolutely is good news. So when we, when we see verses like, be subject to every institution, we, we start thinking we're the exception, right? Every one of us, I, I know. You, you start thinking, well, okay, be, be subject to every institution. Well, what, what about Hitler, right? Like, what, what about Stalin? Right? What about if, if it was a uh, hundred years ago or so, you know, Underground Railroad, I'm hiding slaves. What, what about that? What am I supposed to do? Someone comes knocking on my door, you got any slaves, what am I going to do? Am I really supposed to be subject to every human institution? Right? Those of us who know our Bibles a little, uh, a little better than, than each other, than one another, might say, well, I can do this biblically, right? Well, let's do Exodus chapter 1. 
Pharaoh says, says what? Kill all the baby boys. And the midwives do what? No, we're not going to listen. We, we know that we're not called to do that. Let's skip ahead a little bit. What about Daniel? Right, what, what is Daniel told to do? You're not supposed to worship anyone um, except Nebuchadnezzar. Right? But what does he do? He opens up his windows and he says, I'm going I'm to worship my God. Right, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're told, bow down, worship the idol. They say, forget you. Forget you. I'm, I'll, I'll burn if, if that's what it takes. Right? And then for those of us who can go even farther, what about New Testament? Right? Old Testament's easy. What about New Testament? Peter? Th- these words are coming from Peter? Well, you want to talk about submission to authority, Peter? What about Acts chapter 3, 4 and 5? What happens when, when Peter and John, they're cruising along, they see a crippled guy, they heal him, right? And then all this commotion starts coming up. Whoa, 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 what are you doing here? How are you able to heal this guy? Oh, well, you ask, let me tell you. And he starts preaching, and people start getting saved. And the religious people, they don't like this. But they can't do anything about it because here's a guy who was crippled, but now he's walking. So they pull him aside and say, you guys need to shut up. This is a bad idea. I don't want you sharing this news about this Jesus guy. It actually says they were a bit jealous. Right? So I love Peter. What does he do? He says, well, you know, who am I supposed to listen to, you or, or God? So he goes and he keeps preaching. He keeps preaching. They arrest him again. They actually arrest him and they put him in jail. And they say, you should not be preaching the gospel. We're, we're putting you in jail. In jail, an angel comes and says, nope, I want you to keep preaching. And he opens up the doors. He sneaks out somehow. The next day, the, the religious people come back to, to see where he is. Not there. Where'd, where'd they go? Someone says, oh, look, isn't that them preaching in the temple again? They go, they arrest him again. Come on, guys. Like, didn't we tell you not to do this? What are you doing? Right? And, and, and now you're telling people to submit? I love Peter. We must obey God rather than men. So tell me when, when I say and when we hear submit to every human institution, that, that we don't want to be that exception, right? Because we know that there are some exceptions, but, but let me tell you this. I'm going to be really straightforward. I know, totally out of character, shocking. You are not the exception. You're not. We want to be, but you're not. So if you're trying to be the exception, stop it, right? Stop it. Stop trying to be the exception. And just so you know where I stand, sure, if someone's knocking at your door and they're looking for someone to kill, lie, stick it to the man, and pull a Rahab. But I don't see that happening here in Corvallis. (laughs) I really don't see that happening. What we do see is divinely ordained obedience from the beginning of the Bible all the way through. It's not just here in Peter. You can't just say, well, it's just in this passage. No, we see it from Paul and Titus. We see it in Romans 13. It's all over. And it's not just to governing authorities. It's to family. It's to church. It's to pastors. Crazy. It's to state. It's to government authority. We are called as believers to obey. Now, now why is this so important? I, I love asking the why questions. Well, why should I obey? Right? We, we want to know. Give me, give me reasons. Right, cause then, I'll, then I'll decide for myself if it's good enough. Right, so why should we obey? Peter says it in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So why do we obey? First answer, it's God's will. It's God's will that we obey. And what I love about this is he says, God has placed every person in authority where they are. And what do we want to do? Well, what about this guy? 
Let me say this again. God has placed every governor, every king, every president where they are, and that's on him. Right? If he didn't want them to be there, he would have stopped it. And I wouldn't want to worship a God who couldn't have. He would have stopped it. So what does that mean for us? That means our job is to obey. Our job is simple obedience. And where does our motivation for this obedience come from? All right, well, why would I want to obey? It's not simply an avoidance of punishment. Right? When you're raising your kids and you're teaching them how to do things, right? is the primary tool by which you teach them to obey um, uh, out of fear? Do you say, don't do this because I'm going to beat you? Or don't do this or, or, or this bad thing's going to happen? No, you, you want to teach them because I told you so, right? And, and this is, there's an authority here, right? We, we obey because we love. I'll take this, I'll make this real personal. Why don't I cheat on my wife? Do, do I not cheat on my wife because, gee, I might get caught. I might lose my job. I might lose my credibility as a pastor. I might get some crazy disease. No, right? I don't cheat on my wife because I love her. I love my wife. And God says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, follow me. It's not follow me because you're afraid that if you don't, something bad's going to happen. It's you love him. I love my wife. And in obedience, we do what? This is a really neat thing that we're going to spend a lot of time on. You put to shame or you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we're going to camp out for a little while. Verses 16 and 17, this idea of, of obedience and how it puts to silence the ignorance of fools. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And in doing these things, you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, we, we, we got to remember that, that Peter's talking to real people. In a, in a real time period, and he's got some very specific purposes in this. And I've, I've said it a number of times, and I'll keep saying it as we're going through the book. The, the type of persecution that was happening here wasn't quite total, unilateral, physical violence yet. We'd get there at the later part of the first century, but where we're at right now, it's more of a social thing. Right? They're being persecuted socially. And in the midst of this, all sorts of rumors come flying. Right? Well, well, what is this first church? What's the early church? What are they all about? And whenever there's confusion and misunderstanding, there's always rumors. Right? We know this well. We know this very well. So in light of this, I've found a top ten list. I love top ten lists. You know, you see top ten reasons? Yeah, I want to I know. Right? So we've got a top ten list here. Top ten misconceptions of the early church. For time's sake, I'm just going to... I'm going to read, read them straight through, and then I'm going to expound on just a few of them. So these are what people were thinking about the early church that were not true during that time. Number one, that Christians were anti-family. Number two, that Christians were incestuous. Number three, that they were the poorest judges of society. Maybe that was true. Number four, they were weird secret society. Number five, they were atheists. Number six, they were just doing it because it's the next cool thing to do. Number seven, they were unpatriotic. Number eight, they were arrogant. They were stuck up. Number nine, they were responsible for causing all sorts of natural disasters. 
And number 10, they were cannibals. Right now, you might, you might want to know, well, how did these things come about, right? Well, let me tell you this. If, if Any first-timers here, if you were to come here and we did communion today, right, and, and we take this cup and I said, here's the blood of Jesus, let's drink. And I took uh, some bread and I said, here's the body of Jesus, let's eat. You're going to think that's pretty weird, right? That, that's a weird thing. So if you just saw that out of the corner of your eye or you heard about that, you're going to start assuming some things. Right, you start calling everyone brother or sister. I give Megan a big hug and say, hey, what's up, sister? That's weird because she's my wife. Rumors start going around. Right? In the ancient world, you, you don't have a huge separation between state and um, church. Go hand in hand. So when we have state holidays, they're church holidays, everyone parties together. It's a good time for everyone. And there isn't necessarily an equal correlation between the spiritual and religious significance as it is to everyone's just wanting to get together and have a good time, a.k.a. St. Patrick's Day, right, or, or Valentine's Day, right? It's just an excuse to have a good time and party. No one's really caring about the religious significance. But the Christians, they weren't allowed to participate in there. Because they knew that once they were saved, I can't associate myself with these type of people anymore. I have to kind of pull myself back. So then people started thinking, oh, well, they're kind of arrogant. They think they're too good for us. They don't want to join our parties. Right? And and the atheist thing. Why would people think that they're atheists? Right? In the Roman world, there were gods everywhere. There are statues of gods everywhere. Everyone worshipped all of them. Well, did the Christians worship all the gods? No, they didn't worship all the gods. So it was assumed, well... They don't worship the God. Maybe they're atheists. So all sorts of rumors are coming up. All sorts of rumors. So Peter's saying this. Live as servants of God. Follow the authority above you. And in doing so, people will be able to see that you actually are good citizens and that maybe there is some validity to this gospel. Now, and I'm not sure if you notice this, but the same thing happens today. Right? The same thing happens. If your only encounter with Christians or with church is on some late night infomercial on TVN or on some poster with the name Jesus that says some other things that isn't very loving and friendly, right? you're going to start assuming, wow, they must do some really weird things here. They must, I don't know if they're a bunch of loving people. I don't know if they're accepting to everyone. Maybe they're a bunch of self-righteous jerks. So Peter says, Follow the authorities. He says, in doing so, that's your witness for where you're at in that place. Now, the opposite of that is going to be what? If we actually are a bunch of self-righteous jerks, right? If we actually do go out and, th- and do things um, not according to the way that we're supposed to, right? And when we do that, what do we do? We give bullets to people's guns. And they say, yeah, yeah, that's right. I knew it. Christians really are like that. And the truth of the matter is, it's not always easy to honor those in authority. Right? I'm being straightforward with you, and this is coming from, from deep in my heart. I'm the first person who will say, if I don't agree with it, oh, that's hard to honor someone. It's hard to honor someone when you disagree with what they're saying. Right? A couple years ago, I'll say a few so it sounds longer, um, I was coaching basketball in Korea, and I was the girls' varsity coach, and there was a new boys' varsity coach, and I was helping them out. We came from a small Christian school, uh, junior high, high school. We had about 600 kids, but just in the high school, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred kids. A basketball team, 
uh, small, not that good. We were playing probably the biggest international school in Korea. We go there, big problem. They got like four or five gyms. Oh, where are we, we going to play? You know, oh, which gym is it going to be? So we finally, we find the right gym. We get there and we're in the middle of this game. It's, it's a really, really good game. We got this killer 3-2 zone going. My boys are shutting them down. And we're up by 10, 15 at halftime. It's great. It's great. But as the time continues, the other team starts catching up. Fourth quarter comes, end of the fourth quarter, tie game. We're going into overtime. Like, man, I, oh, we had this in the bag. We were such a good, we played such good defense. We're, our team's doing great, right? Overtime comes. We're going back and forth. Point, 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 point. We're down one point. Ten seconds left. Call a timeout. And I got this great plan. We're going to do the screen. My best shooter is going to get a six-foot jump shot. Game in the bag. No problem. We inbound the ball. Ten seconds on the clock. Clock doesn't move. Like, well, that's, that's weird. Okay, whatever. Five seconds later, ref blows his whistle. <whistles> Assuredly, the referee is going to say, uh, we've got a problem with the, with the clock here. We've got to fix that before we can keep going. All right, that's the natural assumption. Referee says, game over. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I have a certain vitality for life that when under grace is very uplifting. But when not harnessed with that same grace, can quickly find myself doing things that I don't necessarily want to do. And we'll stop right there. But the next day, my wife says to me, You were really embarrassing yesterday. (laughs) Ouch. I can understand like goofy hair or a bad outfit, but because of my character, because of what I've said, you are really embarrassing me. Here you're the Bible teacher. You are the preacher. You are the coach of the Christian school, and you're acting like a complete moron. But he was totally wrong. We totally should, we had that in the bag. Right? We would have put some credibility to our team here. No. Right? My wife says, what's more important, the right call or your witness? Ooh. Ouch. Right? There's a way to honor someone that even when they're wrong, that you can give them honor. It's hard. I'll be the first person to admit it. But I totally blew it. I had to apologize to my wife. I had to apologize to my team. I had to apologize to the other coach. I had to apologize to the other, to the referees. But you know who I wasn't able to apologize to? All the parents who were there who saw this crazy Bible teacher throwing clipboards and getting all mad over nothing. Right? And I lost my witness. And I gave bullets to the gun that says Christians are a bunch of self-righteous jerks. Ouch. That's why... Peter says, honor those in authority so that by your good works, people won't have bad things to say about you, but instead live as servants of God, honoring everyone, especially those in authority above you. Now, before we go to the next section, I got to say one more objection that most people have. Well, Well, what if I disagree with the law or think it's dumb? Right? Does this give me the right not to obey? You, you got one trump card. One. You got one 
ace of spades, and that's it, no exception. And your trump card is this. If the law itself requires you to violate God's law, then you're free. But, but your freedom shouldn't come before you say, within the system, I'm going to try to get it changed. Right? You pull an Esther and you say, I'm going to do what I can legally to get this changed. And then, last chance, you rebel. Last chance. Not first, last. And that's only if the law requires you to violate God's law. That's it. No other exceptions. That's all you have. Let's keep going. Next section, 18 to 25. This is a longer one. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? For you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now, it's really important here, and I think this is a good argument for why it's important to have a a good word-for-word translation, because in the NASB and the ESV, you're going to see the word servant, right? But for those of you who follow the nearly inspired version, or the NIV... I'm joking. I'm totally joking. You're free to do as you wish. But I will say this. It it is important to know that if you have a translation that that uses paraphrase, that you get sometimes to words like this, and it changes the meaning in your mind. Because you see the word slave and you see the word servant, and they mean very different things. And, And we'll get into it. I'm not saying that slavery didn't exist. But in this specific context, Peter has a very specific type of people in mind that he's talking to. Because the word that's commonly used in the Bible for slave, doulos, isn't the word that's used here. That's not the case. So Peter is specifically talking to someone who's under the household of someone else, under their authority. So, So what was a servant? They would have been someone who, for a number of reasons, would have sold themselves into something kind of like what we know to be an indentured servanthood. So for this passage... For this one right here, we need to get the idea of slavery as known in America out of our minds. You you just you can't have that for this passage. But I'll tell you what, the Bible does have things to say about slavery. Right. Some of us say, well, I don't I haven't seen much. The Bible is very clear. First Timothy. What does he say to cruel slave traders? He puts them in a list, a list with a not not too friendly other people with murderers and adulterers and perverts. And both Colossians and Ephesians, Paul says this to slave owners. He says, you better treat them right. He says, you better treat those under you right because you got someone above you and they're watching. So the Bible does have things to say about slaves, but that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the case. So, so what's happening in 1 Peter? What is the case? See, in the ancient world, there was an institution, not so unlike ours, where if you needed money for whatever reason, you could go and borrow money. So let's say you, you needed 100 bucks. 
You find someone, you say, hey, can I borrow 100 bucks? They lend you 100 bucks, and at a certain prearranged time, you're going to pay them back with interest. So you take that money, you go, you, you plant your crops, you harvest your crops, you sell them, you get your money, you pay them back. Right? We're, we're very familiar with this idea of borrowing. Right? We borrow money for houses, we borrow money for cars, we borrow money for things that we don't need. Right? Like 270-inch, six-dimension televisions. Right? Buy it now and don't pay till December 2027. Right? You're going to see a lot of this now. You're going to see it in this season. doesn't matter if you can't afford it. Get it now and worry about that later. Right? Side note, if you can't afford it now, don't buy it. Right? That's, that's for free. But what would have happened if you used your money, you bought the seed, you harvested the seed, you got your money now? Right? And, and what are you going to do? You've got to pay this guy back. But what if you see your neighbor? Man, their donkey is so much better than mine. He's got these six-inch hooves. Mine only have four-inch hooves. But on sale this week and this week only, I can get eight-inch hooves. And then I can harvest much faster than him, and I will look so much cooler cruising into town. Right? So we pick, we we spend our money, we get this new cool donkey, we have this great donkey, but, uh uh-oh, I can't pay back my creditor anymore. What am I going to do? Right? These days, what would we do? We'd keep spending, we'd keep borrowing, and then we'd declare bankruptcy. But that wasn't really an option back then. So what would happen is you would have to sell yourself to that person for an extended period of time, whether it be a couple weeks, whether it be a couple years, and even in some cases, it could be a lifetime. Right? So the truth of the matter is a lot of these people sold themselves for whatever reason, and they were living under the roof of someone else as hired work. Right? And sometimes these were people who, for whatever reason, were just broke. They were poor. They were constantly poor. They couldn't get out of poverty. So they said, well, I can live a much better lifestyle if I live under the house of someone else. So I'm going to submit myself to them, and I'm just going to work for this person. It was a way of, of getting out of chronic, um, chronic poverty. This was incredibly common, incredibly common. So let's keep that in mind as we read verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. So as one might suspect in this system, you would have had good bosses and you also would have had bad bosses. But once you're in, you're in, right? Once you're in, there was a debt to be paid and you you wrote your signature, you squeezed your blood, you did whatever you did and you were in, you weren't getting out. Think of it as, as of a working relationship. Right? This sounds familiar. We have debts to pay. We have bills to pay. We got food to put on the table. So we find someone who we can work for. We work under them and we get money so we can do the things that we need to do. And under this system, we have good bosses. And under the system, we have bad bosses. And if you have a good boss, Peter says, be a good employee. If you have a bad boss, he says, Speak maliciously behind your employer's back. Talk bad about them when they're not around. Undercut his or her authority at all times. If your boss is a jerk, be a jerk. That was a joke, right? No, he says, if you have a good boss, be a good employee. If you have a terrible boss, be a good employee. Why? Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When being mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Now, I want to be really careful here in explaining Peter's words so that no one misunderstands 
misunderstands Peter to, to where they think that the Bible says, well, if I'm in a situation where I'm suffering, I should never get out. Because remember what we just said. What was the role of government? The role of government is to punish those who are doing evil. So if you're in a situation where you need to get out and you can, get out. So if you're suffering right now and you're stuck, don't use the Bible to say, well, I can't get out. That, that's not at all what's happening. But in these servants who, to whom Peter's talking to, they're stuck. They're not legally getting out. They've sold themselves. So don't hear me wrong. If you're in a bad situation, get out. Seek help. Do it. Paul even says to in 1 Corinthians 7, he says to slaves, if you can get out, get out. But they couldn't. So the servants were stuck working this job. They, they couldn't get out. And you've got to know that probably a large percentage of the readers reading this text in the early church would have been servants. I mean, that, that's just a fact. The fact is, a lot of these people would have been under this type of system. So Peter says, respect your master. Be a good employee. If your boss makes fun of you for being a Christian, work harder. Work harder. That is your witness. So if you're here today and you have a boss and you can't get out for whatever reason, right? maybe it's just the economy, maybe you don't want to find a new job, maybe you like where you're at um, city-wise, be a good employee. It's your witness right? as a church, right? as, as Christianity in Corvallis. We want to be known for being good, hard workers. Right? You want your employee to say, oh, do you have any other friends who, who might want to work? Do they go to your church too? Because you're a really good employee. You don't show up late. You don't leave early. You work hard. You don't cut corners. You are a great employee. That is your witness. That is our witness. So if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I don't really feel like I have much of a witness myself. But if you're at work and people know that you're a believer, your work is your witness. And we want people to know that as Christians, we're hard workers. We're honest people. This is what we believe in. This is what we do. And not just for your employee and not so that you don't get caught and not just for a raise. But you do it because you're under God. You do it because God has said, do this, love me. This is how you will love me, by obeying me. Then he continues this idea of suffering in verses 19 through 20. And he says there's two types of suffering here. We have just suffering and unjust suffering. And sometimes these are hard for us to differentiate, right? Because we all want to be victims, right? Well, it's not my fault. I, I didn't cause this to happen. Sometimes we reap what we sow, right? Sometimes when we suffer, we're suffering because we're experiencing the consequences of what we've already done. You make one foolish mistake, followed by another foolish mistake, followed by another foolish mistake, and oftentimes you're going to suffer, right? You're going to suffer. And Peter says there's no value in that. There's no value in getting beaten for being a bad, slave, being a bad servant. He says there's no value in that. So our question is, are you a victim of unjust suffering or are you a victim of foolish decision-making? Right? It's, a, it's a totally valid question because we love making ourselves the victim. Well, my boss, it's, it's all him, it's all him, it's all him, or, or it's all this person, it's all this person. Well, you, we need to check ourselves first. Right? Check ourselves first and seeing if we're doing what God has called us to do. And, and if we haven't been, we need to repent, we need to move forward, we need to take off our pity party hat, and we need to move on. Right? Not, not just sorrow, not just sulk in our, in our sorrows. Oh, I'm such a victim. I'm such a victim. Paul says, no, if it's on you, it's on you. 
But then he gets to a whole other section on suffering. And this suffering is a lot harder to endure. And this suffering is very, very, very real. In this church, in our city, in the world, he gets to this type of suffering that really isn't your fault. There's a lot of suffering that happens to us as individuals that isn't our fault at all. And I will preface this and say this, as I've said before, we live in a broken world, right? We live in a hurting world where there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain. So maybe you're here this morning and you really are experiencing unjust suffering because it happens and it happens a lot, right? A parent who loses a kid, a a dad who ends his life and, and leaves two kids and a mom behind. A kid who loses a parent, an abused kid, an abused spouse, a a 70-year-old who gets cancer, a 40-year-old who gets cancer, an 11-year-old who gets cancer, a 7-year-old who gets cancer, an infant who gets cancer and dies two weeks later. These are prayers I've prayed here in this church With this family. It's not something that happens out there. That's right here. That is unjust suffering. That happens every day. And there's a whole lot more out there. That we don't talk about. But it happens a lot. And it's in our family. It's not something that we just read about in the news. Or see on television. Unjust suffering happens all the time to us. And Peter says, if that's the case, you're not alone. You are not alone. Let's read 20 to 25. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He says, Christ submitted himself to the Father and experienced the most heinous of unjust suffering there is to experience. And on that cross, he gave us freedom. On that cross, we who were lost have now been found. We who were dead to sin, dead to sin, we who were slaves have now been set free because someone obeyed the Father completely. And his name is Jesus. And Peter says, I know it's hard out there right now. He says, I know in the early church, you guys are experiencing a lot of trials right now. He says, I know people are talking all kinds of bad things about you to your face, behind your back. I know that you're experiencing poverty. I know that life is hard right now, but hang in there. He says, don't back down because you are not alone. Someone did this before you. And because of what that person before you did, you now know that this isn't it, that it doesn't end here, that there's so much more that's going to come. 
And it's all possible because one person named Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And that was no easy submission. Because if the God-man says himself, if there's anything you can do, take this cup from me. If he says that, then we know it's not easy. And Peter says it's not going to be easy. You're going to suffer unjust suffering. But in the midst of it, submit. In the midst of it, come under the Father, love and obey him, because we will find freedom and we will find joy. We thank you for Jesus' submission, which gives us life. Let's pray. Jesus, your submission to your Father put you on the cross. The most heinous of all sin imaginable in crucifying you, yet the most liberating result. Lord, we were dead to sin, and now we are free to righteousness This is what we're about. We're about substitution. That should have been us. But that was you. And now we have freedom. Or if there's people in this room right now who are suffering because of something they've done, I pray that you would work on their heart to repent and to move forward. To move forward because we no longer are dead to sin, but we are alive to you. Lord, and if there are people in this room right now who are in the midst of experiencing unjust suffering, I pray that they would hear the words of 1 Peter, and he says, I know, I know it's hard out there, but this isn't it. It's going to get better. Maybe not on this side of things, but on the next. So hang on, hang on. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.